ladies and gentlemen, welcome along to the On The Whistle podcast. Today, I'm your host, Alistair Howard, taking a, uh, a shot in the big seat while Zayn Nabi takes a role in the, the side seat, the analysis. The, There's the, a the coup d'etat <laughs> that was led by Ali. I am not happy. I am not happy. Either way, we've got him on the sidelines now. I tried to get him off the pod completely, but we'll have to make do with him just just being uh, being one of the guest speakers. Um, but on, on on the other end, we've had our man on the ground. He's he's globe trotting. We had to clarify what continent he was in, let alone what country. Francis, how are you doing? Where are you? Hello, gentlemen. It's a real pleasure to be back in the house and sitting around the bride. Uh, this time, I decided to go for some Cameroonian beef. So um, I left the camels behind and I said, even though it tastes great, let's try some cow. My t- that's my type of diet, Francis. My type of diet. That's that's a kind of bride we can get behind. <laughs> well, I mean, Francis, you know, we, we witnessed, we're coming off the back of this amazing result and performance from our North African brothers, Morocco, who made it to the quarterfinals. It's a real shame that, that Courtney isn't here because... Let me tell you, he would be insufferable because Courtney has been beating the drum of Morocco for for th- before this tournament. He said that they were going to get the furthest of any African team, and they have. And you know, they it was a brilliant performance. The the pure gall of Ashraf Hakimi to take that that penalty in that final penalty just to to send them home. That kind of almost push gas type attempt was just incredible. But, you know, for those of us who've been watching African football, for those of us who've been watching Moroccan football, you know, this isn't a huge surprise. The narrative, particularly listening and watching analysts here in the UK, has been this huge shock that they don't deserve it, that they've spoiled the party, that they, you know, they've just defended. But for those of us, you know, who have been familiar with, you know, say, Walid Regragi and his work with Widad, we know what a good team this is. But, but no matter how good a team is, you are not, you are only ever as good as your fans. And the Moroccan fans have been terrific. You know, we spoke in our preview with, with Maher Mazahi, go back and listen to it about Morocco. And he said, this is going to be a home tournament for Morocco and Tunisia. And Francis, you've been on the ground. You've been in Qatar. You've been in Doha. Is that true? What was it like? Did you see many Moroccans around? Oh, so many. And I think what's most interesting about it is that, yes, it's a great victory for, for Africa. It's a fantastic victory for Morocco. 14 years in the making. They had a roadmap for their football that they set out many years ago. And it's only the ignorant or those who have uh, chosen not to pay attention to what they've been trying to do with their domestic game, with their international football, the vision that they have that has been executed to date. Um, But these fans, and even, I I must add, uh, with my put a slant or a little touch on the African appendix is the fact that even the Qataris also made it a point to speak about the Arab World Cup. Uh, They have a sense of belonging, the way uh, the Moroccan team has been embraced in that region by the people of the region, by the Qataris, by people flying in out of the UAE, by the Saudis even, Um, and of course the Africans, where to a great extent we we have been witnessing the progress in Moroccan football over the years. We've seen it in the AFCON repeatedly. Uh, We've seen their progress in the Champions League uh, with what they've been able to do even this year in particular. Or when I say this year, I mean uh, the most recent Champions League. Um, So this is not a surprise to those of us who've been watching the Moroccan game. 
and seeing its impact on continental football and their ambition for the global game. Um, it's a joy to see. I know Courtney would have been ecstatic or is ecstatic, just isn't present to share with us uh, the ecstasy that he feels. But you as well, Ali, were one of the people who also championed this Moroccan team. I know some of us spoke from the heart and we just wanted to see the African teams do well. And I think the African teams have done better than many expected. And Morocco was always going to be that team that was going to lead us, I think, as a continent, uh, because of just how far along the line they are with the development of their game, uh, the, the technical stuff that they have around. This is not uh, an accident. It is a plan. The style of play is not to destroy the game. It's a system. And when it happens with European nations or European clubs, we give the technical staff a lot of credit for it. And I think in this moment, uh, this part has always respected what is being done in Morocco. And it's a real exhibition for the rest of the world to begin to appreciate the mental input that has gone into it, the technical nuance that has come in to bring to the fore a group of very talented individuals who at their core play as a team. They don't have egos, they don't do the individual, they play collective football. They defend as one, they attack as one, um, but they are very good and well-trained in this system of football. And we I have, have to, I have, I have to come in there, Francis, because one of the beauties of sitting around the bride with you and I've learned this as you respect the house. So I want to pay my respect to the Moroccan Federation for everything you've said. Alistair, you were in the uh, women's uh, AFCON earlier this year. You saw the Moroccan team perform brilliantly. You saw them reach the final. We saw a symbolic passing of the torch. Pizzo Mosemane has been the coach who has sent the benchmark in Africa along with Algeria's Jamal Balmadi. That was until earlier this year when Walid Redraghi rose to the occasion and he symbolically, with Widad Casablanca, beat Pizzo's mighty Al-Akhli 2-0 in the CAF Champions League final. And we thought, wow. <clears throat> Excuse me as I clear my throat, but wow, let's do a pregnant pause. But this guy is going to be the future of African football. He could never have envisioned the success he's had at this World Cup so quickly and so well. That's why we respect the house. They're champions in Africa with Red Raggy as the coach. Their women have made the final and they're a team who are performing outstandingly, brilliantly at the World Cup. We like that the Arabs can celebrate this because we know North Africa has those links by geography. We also know that sometimes their proximity to Europe or Southern Europe, but they are ours. We are African. They play in our competitions. Iron sharpens iron. And without Pizzo, there's no Red Raggy because there's no mountain to climb. There's no yeah. Goliath to slay. But we give the respect to the house. And that's why we're all celebrating this. From Cape Town to Cairo to Casablanca to Yaoundé to Morden. <laughs> the African outpost of, of Morden. And I, th I think it's really interesting what you said about the changing of the guard, because what's really interesting about Regragi is that 
him and Pizzo were the first uh, of coaches in Africa to do the CAF licensing coaching. The first time CAF ever actually offered coaching courses of its own and a full licensing process. So the likes of, you know, Riga Bersong, Ali Cisse, they've had to get their UEFA badges. And I think, I think Regagi also had his UEFA badges. But him and Pizzo, and I think I think there was Pizzo, one other sub-Saharan, I can't remember, was uh, Florent Ibengi, who's, who's obviously done very well as well from, from Congo. But the rest was about 20 or so um, Moroccan coaches who got the CAF coaching course because it was hosted in Morocco. Now CAF are trying to, you know, push it out to the rest of the continent. And hopefully one day soon we'll be having coaches from every country in the continent getting those badges. But I think that's really important to note that again, like Francis is saying, this is this is not the the you know the fruit of no labor. This this is years, decades of work being put in by the federation. Now, you know, Fauzi Lecha is rightly so a very controversial figure. He's not he's not popular with a lot of people in Africa, particularly you know his relationship with Mazzeppe and with Mvantino. But one thing you cannot criticize him and the Moroccan Federation is the investment and the investment they put in so much. I mean, we were talking before the pod then about how you know, how big a difference it makes having a a place to train. You know, we talk about how many of our African brothers are, are training some elite footballers, some of the best in the world. When they go on international duty, they have to train in a stadium. You know, they don't have great facilities. In Morocco, there's not a problem because, you know, they have, we know when, when I spoke to Rosella Ayan, who plays for the woman's side, you know, she described it as St. George's Park with palm trees. You know, this is the, the top tier of provisions you can get on the continent and in the world, you know in terms of, of the training facilities. And we were talking about how important that is also, uh, you know, to attracting players who are dual nationalities because, you know, Africa, unlike a lot of other continents, you know, everyone has very complex identities. That's what happens when your whole continent is chopped up arbitrarily. And Morocco is no different. And Zane, you know, you wanted to pick up on that, you know, about the diversity of this Moroccan team and what a strength that is, as opposed to just being, you know, everyone is from one little area and speaks one language. Absolutely. And Alistair, I mean, you're usually the one who doles out these wonderful statistics. And then Francis does the analysis off the back with such verve and je ne sais quoi. So I'm <laughs> hoping we're going to continue that today. But 14 of that Moroccan, that 26 man Moroccan squad are based in the Moroccan diaspora. They're players who've been born and earned their spurs and played junior football in France, in Holland, in Belgium, in all parts of the world. And what we've seen with Walid Redraghi coming in as the coach, somebody like Hakim Ziyech coming back into the team, we know he had issues with the previous administration. And I remember seeing him, not in the last AFCON, but the previous one in Egypt. And I thought to myself, here's a guy whose ego is too big. Here's a guy who's a prima donna. Yes, he has talent. And I sort of will let it slide because I think... The greats, and there's so many out there, whether it's Ronaldo, whether it's Latan, whether it's Neymar, we let these things slide. And sometimes we're overcritical of our own, or sometimes some of the brothers who don't come from fashionable teams, we like to ply in. So I sort of let it go. But since he's come back to this team, since he's clearly got a connection with Red Raggy, I'm seeing somebody who works his butt off on that field who is creating with those wonderful wispy legs everywhere he goes. It's like they're two wands beautifully threading the ball through. It's like if he's the creator, you have the dynamo and Amrabat who is working and working and working and getting stuck in there. And again, you bring in somebody like 
um, Hakimi, somebody else who's from the diaspora. And a thread in this team, and I'm going to paraphrase what's been said, is we might carry the passport of somewhere else, whether it's France or Belgium or Holland, but we feel Moroccan. And we've always felt Moroccan. I have a friend of mine who is Dutch, and he says their biggest mistake is letting Ziyech go. They didn't let Ziyech go. Ziyech chose Morocco. This is where he wanted to be. Yes, he learned his, applied his trade at Ajax, and he learned in their systems, but he always felt Moroccan because that's his sense of being. And one of the beautiful things about the squad and Mohamed Zahi, the North African football doyen, all praise my hair. He was writing a feature in Al Jazeera where he spoke about how Red Draghi has allowed the players to have their families base themselves at the training center with them, which is counterproductive when you look at European football because we see issues with wags, you know, the wives and girlfriends causing a storm. But some of the most beautiful imagery, and it makes me well up with, with pride and tears, is seeing Hakimi run to his mom after games and celebrate. And in that moment, like, I miss my mom. And I'm like, where's my mom? I want my mom right here to hug. And I think there's a beautiful team vibe that's been built on a culturally Moroccan, a culturally African. We care about our families, right? It takes a village to raise one of us. We're not as individualistic, perhaps, as Europeans. And also, they're building on what we've spoken about, a house that has good foundations. Uh, you, you, you touched on all the magic that has affected me about this team. Um, this aspect of family and our, the confidence that the technical team and the management had to understand that they must be who they are wherever they go is fundamental to the success of all of our nations, our ability to contextualize, to take ownership of the sport and say we have our own way of playing it, of preparing for tournaments, of participating in tournaments. And this is what the Moroccans have done with a plum. I mean, it's I, the image of this young man embracing his mom, mother in her hijab, the hugs, the tears, the kisses, went around the world. And it touched a lot of people because it was different. It was something we hadn't seen before. It's not the sort of thing we celebrate in Western football, uh, that the wives and the family can be part of this process, part of the success involved in even what the players are eating, where you can trust the mothers and the wives and the brothers and the cousins to know what an athlete is meant to drink and eat because they've helped shape these athletes since they were nine years old and 10 years old. But most importantly, you touched on the point, choices. The fact that these young men made the choice to stand with the flags of their mothers and their fathers is symbolically important because it's a positive choice. It's not because they couldn't play somewhere else. It's not because they weren't an option for another nationality. They're happy and also proud of representing other elements of that nation, but they make a choice to play for a motherland or a fatherland because it means something else to them as individuals. And this Western notion that we have where we guilt players into feeling like they owe something to maybe their host nation because it afforded you some growth, or maybe that's where you earn your daily keep. 
that's all well and good. But I really think the symbolism of this Moroccan team goes beyond football. It speaks to the essence of identity. It speaks to the definition of the African, that wherever we find ourselves in our diaspora, we must be able to remain proud of our roots. We must be able to know who it is we are. But to come to the tactics, to come to the game itself and appreciate a philosophy that is homeborn, that has taken from the best of different systems around the world in the same way our Western counterparts also take from different parts of the world and own. They are developing a Moroccan style of football. They're developing an African style of football. One, we hope, of 55 over the coming years, where there will be different styles rooted in a philosophy that is intrinsically ours, that for some nations may be more expressive than others. For them, they've chosen the, the concept of solidity. They move as a block in attack and they move as a block in defense. But they have the capacity to have these exceptional talents that can come in and sacrifice their maybe innate or, uh, or, or acquired ability to play the individualistic game. Yeah. But they come in on the... And, 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 and Francis, if you don't mind me, we all loved watching Brazil slice yes. and dice their way into the to the, to, to, to the quarters, right? And it's but beautiful I, to see I, the free flowing goal. Against Cameroon, but that's a side. <laughs> <laughs> they can only they can only do it against the, the small teams like Korea. Come on, I gave you the open teams. goal there, right, Francis? <laughs> but just as we extol the Brazilians, right, and we should because we love watching them and we love the way they play because it's beautiful. This Moroccan team can make themselves hard to beat, can look really good in transition and the counter, 24% possession, if I'm correct, against yes. Spain. And if Regrui was Simeone, and I hate to say this because I listen to the broadcast on ITV, I think those pundits and I think those analysts would be talking very differently about how he sets up and how he manages. Yes, they right. got to a space where they were giving him credit, and I'm not going to name names. Um, but there was a times when I was listening going, this is a little lazy. This is a very smart man who knows what he's doing. He's making them hard to beat, and they'll hit you on the counterattack, and they'll create. They know what they're good at doing. Simeone is a master of how he sets up and how he's won championships, how he's <clears throat> had some of the finest attacking forces in Costa, in um, Griezmann, in Suarez. But the DNA of that Atletico team doesn't change. And it's similarly with Red Raggi. He is doing what he is doing because he's thought out the strategy. And we have to give the man props for that. I'd, sorry, Francis, were you trying to come in, brother? No, I was, coming, I was just trying to, to agree with you because it, it, you, you, you're hitting the nail on the head. People have philosophies. And what we must learn in other parts of the world is how to respect difference. But we respect that difference when it's in our space or in their space, so to speak. And we give credit to the brain. And at some point in time, the African must be seen as more than just brawn. We have brains to match our brawn. And some people are taking the time to figure out how best brain and brawn can come together for efficiency. When the Germans did it in the past, we gave them credit for it. Nobody ever uh, exalted the expansive display of, of German football. It's, it's rigidity, how solid, how solid they were, 
the ability to be compact and to hit you on the break. But most importantly, the ability to do the hardest part of the game, which is to absorb pressure. And this, you don't just acquire par, uh, par chance. You, you, you train and you prepare for it. And this was exhibited in the penalty shootout. You, this was mental strength. And we saw the nature and the quality of the penalties taken by the Moroccans, vis-a-vis -vis the penalties taken by the Spanish team, and our ability to see that one team was weaker in the mind than the other. This is not our, uh, a toss-up. This is training. This is the, 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 the cherry on top of a very, very delicious compound pound cake with icing, with loads of cherries on it, but very delicious to taste. And right now I can't help but gloat because there are many friends of ours, personal and professional, who refuse to see philosophy in what it is that we do. They put a lot down to chance and opportunism. But I think this Moroccan team has shown through this tournament that there is a philosophy at play. And this philosophy is bearing fruit. Absolutely. Francis, you're just making me hungry out here. I want, I want to go eat my dinner now. I, you know, I, we want to keep it short. I'll, I'll keep it to this last point. I'll throw it to you, Francis. You know, what something that struck me about this team is, is something that ever since I've met you and you, you've always said on this podcast, and I'll be honest, I've been, I, I have to put up my hand up and say I've been naive and, and, and doubtful, but you've always talked about mentality. And you've always said that Africans need to demand the very best because because we're a continent that has been so pushed down in football and otherwise for centuries that we need to have this attitude, which from the outside will come across as arrogant, but is one of entitlement saying we belong here. And, and we saw that at the beginning of this tournament, you know, Samuel Atso got made fun of loads across the world for, for saying that he predicted a Morocco Cameroon final. Now we know that that's him a bit of tongue in cheek, but, but yeah, at the root of it, it's just someone who's saying, we need to say that we deserve to be here, you know, and, and as much as this has been the best world cup in African history, and we will, we will celebrate that at the end of this tournament, absolutely with the podcast, but we have to say, this is where we belong. And that's interesting because what made me think about this was this morning I was see, you know, reading through the transcript of Regragi's press conference yesterday. And he said the exact same thing. He said, why, why, why can't we say, we'll make it to the final. Why not? Why can't we say we'll make it to the World Cup? We we deserve to be here. And, and you know, that's something, like you said, in the penalties, that came across that kind of, you know, the arrogance of Hakimi to score that penalty. That comes from someone who believes in the best, to believe they deserve to be there. And, and that just must be a joy for you, Francis, to see a country putting that that energy and that mentality where you've been crying out for, for so long, and now I'm seeing the fruits of that. <laughs> I genuinely believe that at the heart of the success of our continent is belief, belief in self. We must be able to look in the mirror and like what looks back at us. Because for very long, we've not been even allowed to have a mirror. We've been told what we look like, who we are, who we are supposed to be. And we've kind of caved into those definitions and filled those slots. But now you have a new generation of African leadership being exemplified in sport, but also in music and culture and beyond, whether it's film and entertainment. I genuinely believe there is something coming together with a new breed of leadership, like the Samuel Letters, like the leaders and the leadership in general in Morocco. 
like even with the leadership, I, dare I say, in Senegal, in the LUC states, they believe to be able to stick by a manager through eight years, moving into the ninth and coming out of a World Cup and you're not having a conversation immediately about he needs to be sacked because we need to get some French coach in who could take us to another level. They will be given the opportunity to learn the lessons that they need to learn and know that they can take ownership of their victories and their defeats, but believe that you deserve to be a part of it. And culturally speaking, looking at exactly like what we're doing, even with this part, it's that ability for us to say, on the whistle, we can speak for us, we can speak to us, we can speak with us, about us, as opposed to waiting always to be fed half truths or opinions about who we are and we take them as gospel truth. For a generation before this, it was the way things were done. And I believe this is just a catalytic moment. It's a moment, I want to believe it is. It's a moment we must build on, where we come away believing more in our successes. Because even if we look at the success of Cameroon in 1990, there's a part of us where there's a taint in it because our leadership is still a Russian coach. So they could take some credit for it. In this moment, five African teams turned up at a World Cup with five African coaches and have had the best results Africa has ever had at the World Cup. There is a lesson we must take from that. And that is we must believe in ourselves, believe that we too, just like in England, who have only won the World Cup once in 1966, can turn up at every tournament and say it's coming home and believe that they have a right to win it. And when they don't, they don't kill themselves they go again. That's all Eto was doing. He was also saying, we can go with belief that we can. And if one of two of the teams he projected to be in the finals make it there, then we can believe the next time around, it just may work out. And then there'll be nine of us in the North American World Cup. Greater chance for us to do greater surprises for those who don't see us coming. And I know that Francis has so summed it up beautifully. My good friend, Darren Lewis, who's the assistant editor at The Mirror and a contributor at CNN. And something we always talk about, Francis, <clears throat> and I know you guys know Darren as well. He's just, yeah, omnipotent. But um, <laughs> ubiquitous, that's maybe the word I'm looking for. But he, he's always said this about um, black and brown people. They want our bodies, but not our minds. And what we are seeing at this tournament as our minds and bodies combined together can do some magical things. Ali, you're an African, so I understand how you get this. I want your mind and I need your body for this pod. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I, I'm needed for that at least. I mean, that's that's poetry, Zane. That's poetry. I didn't know you had it in you to, to be writing this kind of beautiful poetry. I mean, thank you so much, gentlemen. I cannot wait to debrief further on this World Cup after we've done another two or three podcasts for every time Morocco gets into the next round celebrating our, our North African brothers. Uh, but if if you've enjoyed what you've, you've listened to and you want to hear Francis and Zane and and as well as the, Courtney, our, our, be, our best ranter in the podcast, have a go at talking about the pros and cons of this World Cup and how our African brothers have done and done us proud in, in Qatar, then give us a follow, give us a listen. You find us on Twitter at OTW underscore podcast, as well as on Instagram and on Facebook and on YouTube, just search on the whistle podcast. Zane, 
Francis, it's been a pleasure sitting around the braai with both of you. Thank you so much. And go and enjoy this. What hopefully should be a good game between uh, Portugal and Switzerland. Come on, Morocco! <laughs> Thank you.